0: my testimony, a compromising position, the ruler of this world, love, and filling in the gaps with silly guesses. This is The Truth in Words and Music, podcast episode 141. Hey there, Tony here. I'm glad to be back with you. As a matter of fact, I'm glad to be here again. I hope you're glad to be here listening. I've got a lot of stuff that I want to share with you today, talking about um, things that are important, I believe, to you, me, and the world. And I'm going to start out with a theory. How's that for starting out the, the whole thing? A theory. Do you have a theory of how life began? You know, Christians by some uh, some standards of the world, have a theory. We believe that God created the world, and the people who don't believe in God, they figure that's just a theory at best, and of course they think it's silly. But I say if your theory of how life began is only filling in the gaps with guesses, then you need a new theory. And uh, Christians are quite willing to welcome you over to our side. First thing I'd like to say is, how much I wish those who oppose the notion of a Creator God would come to know the saving grace of Jesus. I don't want you to die, I don't want you to go to hell, and neither does God. And I don't want to. Uh, I don't want you to get the idea I'm mocking you or taunting you. I don't do that. That's not my intention. If I write things down or if I say things as facts, and it makes you uncomfortable or even downright upset, I just like you to remember I've gone through my whole life. Hearing your side told as though to it were scientific facts. I, I don't know how many times I've seen a sign that says, Millions of years ago, this happened. It doesn't say a theory or we theorize, it says it happened. So, for the sake of meaningful dialogue, let's just say that we both have a theory for how life began. Okay, mine says God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Those who don't believe in God say that it all happened by chance, and your your theory, i got to tell you, has been filling in the gaps with guesses. Oh, sorry, but, uh, you know, I have to call them as I see them. Okay, I, I read this excerpt today by an evolutionist, and here's how it was set up. He wrote down the word misconception with a colon, so he's setting it up. Here's the misconception. Gaps in the fossil record disprove evolution. That's what he says is our misconception. And his response, the fact that some transitional fossils are not preserved does not disprove evolution. Evolutionary biologists do not expect that all transitional forms will be found and realize that many species leave no fossils at all. Hmm. Well, that's what's known as a straw man argument. The opposition view states something that's either not your position or not a correct representation of your position, and then they knock it down easily, like you could knock down a straw man, right? The actual fossil gap argument is a bit more complex than that. There's a man named Dr. Walt Brown, and he wrote a book called In the Beginning, and the full title is In the Beginning, Compelling Evidence for Creation and the Flood. And he gives a much clearer and detailed account of the gaps in the fossil record. He points out how there are many gaps or discontinuities throughout the fossil record, not merely some some transitional fossils. For example, there's a big gap between uh, forms of life whose cells have nuclei, like plants, animals, and fungi, and those that don't, like bacteria and blue-green algae. And that's not all. There are also missing links between Uh, large groupings of plants, and and between single-celled forms of life and invertebrates. Then there are gaps among the insects, and between invertebrates and vertebrates, between fish and amphibians, between amphibians and reptiles, between reptiles and mammals, between reptiles and birds, between primates and other mammals, and between apes and other primates. Man, that's a lot of gaps. In fact, as Dr. Brown puts it, chains are missing, not links. You get that? They're always looking for the missing link. He says, hey, the whole chain's missing, not just links. Scientists have been studying this fossil record for a long, long time. And the best evolutionary scientists can come up with uh, for filling in the gaps is silly guesses. That's what they can come up with. They're so selfishly attached to their foregone conclusion that they refuse to go where the evidence takes them. If only they could see... The evidence takes them to eternal paradise with the one true living, loving God. Okay, what about you? Are you standing in the quicksand of evolution? Well, if so, I recommend you give, in the beginning, a good amount of your time. Get that book. You'll see a link for it on my website at tonyfunderburk.com. It's in the article that goes uh, along with this part of my podcast. I believe you'll understand it's much better to stand on the solid rock of creation than standing in the quicksand of evolution. Evolution theory, that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, I'm going to move right along, right on along now. It's my first day with my new mouth, and I'm uh, just sorry. Uh, does there, is there a sign on your front door that says love lives here? I'm just going to jump right in. Is there one? I hope your life is going well today, and as I'm recording this, it's about to be a, uh, well, a snowy day. Actually, it's a snowy day here in Colorado. But I can look toward the west, and I can I can see mountains, you know. And when I see Pikes Peak and the Front Range, it's easy to see the majesty of God's creation. And when it is, it's easy to think about Him and how much He loves me. And then I can walk back in the house after I look at all that, and I can see how blessed I am to have the wife that i have and the things that i have and and i know love lives here do you have that security in your life i hope you can look around you and get the same feeling of love i'm talking about if it isn't immediately clear think about it pray about it ask god to open your heart and the eyes of your understanding ask him to flood your heart with his love mercy and wisdom and then you simply need to believe he will and when he does be prepared to let that love flow through your heart and into the hearts of the ones you love. God's love won't empty out. There's more than enough to go around, so don't be afraid to let it flow right through you. And to get filled up, I recommend reading 1 Corinthians 13, 1-13. And you Christians who've read the Bible know that that's a uh, strong, wonderful love passage. There was an interesting picture in my Newsfeed the other day, where a young man was kneeling next to an older man lying on the street, and the older man, I guess some people call him a homeless man. Uh, it was there was no clear evidence of that, but he was laying on the sidewalk after all. Well, the young man had his hand on the older man's knee, and his head was bowed in prayer. Well, that's love. It doesn't have to be some great act of sacrifice or some giant financial gift to a charity. You can express God's love for others simply by touching someone and praying for them. You don't even have to touch them. When you see someone who needs prayer, and that's everyone, by the way, pray for them. In this mean old world, there's a massive a massive amount of hate and contempt and and rebellion against God. But love lives here, too. How do I know? Because I'm here. <laughs> I don't want to sound arrogant, but... By that, I mean I count myself a Christian. I'm part of the body of Christ. Since I'm part of the body of Christ and I'm still here, it means the Holy Spirit is still here. And where the Holy Spirit is, there is love. Don't miss out on your chance for everlasting life in the place where the sign on the door says, love lives here. That would be heaven. And that would be forever love. You can miss out on it. It's just as easy to miss out on it, it as it is to get it. But it's your choice. Now, when you look around, speaking of this mean old world, does it, does it appear that God is the ruler of this world? Well, as I continually say on here, I hope you've given your heart to Jesus. I hope you've trusted He died and rose from the dead for your sins. I hope your hope is in the one true living, loving creator of the universe. I hope you're willing to lean on God's understanding rather than your own, and I hope he rules and reigns in your heart. But I also hope you can look around and clearly see how God is not the ruler of this world currently. God blesses every person on earth every day. How do I say that? Why do I say that? Every breath you take is a blessing. Every sunrise you see, every morsel you eat, every second of life is a blessing. And in spite of every potential point of evidence pointing to the one true living, loving God, the vast majority of humans thumb their noses, shake their fists, and turn their backs on him. God's not turning their backs. They're doing it. They're responsible. And yes, as the Bible says, if enough people call by God's name Christians, humble themselves, seeking God and His wisdom, then He uh, he not only could, but probably would heal our land. I'm not a pessimist, but I don't see the tide turning in that direction right now. Instead, I see Christians giving in and giving up on almost every single issue important to God. Yes, God's ways are higher than ours, but they're not lower. He tells us not to do evil so that good may come of it. And how much more should He, being a righteous Holy Father, not do evil that good may come? Nothing evil in this world is of God. If you, being a loving Father, wouldn't murder or cause murder to happen, how much more so for your Holy Father? God is not orchestrating the evil deeds of this world, and that would make Him an evil ruler, of this world, and he's not that, nor will he ever be. I know, on the surface, it sounds like blasphemy to say God is not in control of this world, but I'm repeating what Jesus himself said three times at least in John. Look these verses up: John twelve thirty one, John fourteen thirty, and John sixteen eleven. Another verse to point uh, to to point that out is found in 1 Corinthians 14:33 where it says God is not the author of confusion. So you can look around, you can know that he did not write, speak or command the confusion we currently see in our world. And yet another verse indicating there is another ruler of this world is 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4, where Paul writes quoting him, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age, has blinded. Hmm. And that's God with a little g. So that wouldn't be Jesus. And it wouldn't be God in heaven, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be God of the Christians whatsoever. God has given his authority over for a time to the ruler of this world and to us. That's why you see the world in this horrible, despicable shape it's in. And it's just like in the time before Noah, the world became so wicked that God was sorry he had even made man. If they were just a part of his divine and chief orchestration, why would he destroy destroyed them? Simply more of the perfect plan? Absolutely not. Let me ask you this, which is more important to God, prophecy or love? How about this, understanding or love? How about this, knowledge or love? faith or love, charity or love? I'm sure you know the answer. I'm sure you know the answer. But uh, when you see love exhibited in this world, in particular through the body of Christ, you can know it's of and from God. When you see evil, hatred, rampant sexual misconduct, adultery, homosexuality, sodomy, stealing, covetousness, drunkenness, drug abuse, extortion, etc., 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 you can be sure it's not of or from God. But it is of and from the current ruler of this world. God does not and never has raised up pagan rulers or kingdoms. God never does evil that good may come of it, and to raise up a pagan ruler would be evil. God allows chance and circumstance to affect our lives. Now that... To some people is blasphemy also, but you'll see it in First and Second Samuel and the Gospel of Luke. God's the quintessential risk-taker. He wishes that none should perish, but He also knows that to give us our self-control means that to hate Him must be an option. He's willing to risk the hatred of many to cherish the love of the few. Praise God. One day Jesus will come back, and, and He will be the ruler of this world first for a thousand years and then forever. And when that happens, there'll be a world of evidence of his rule, a world of evidence. There will be justice. There will not be anarchy. There will be loving logic and rational reason. There will not be mass confusion. And there will be peace on earth because he'll be here. He is the peace on earth. Would you like to see that day? Don't give it away. It's your choice. I hope that you will want to see that day, and you'll give your life to Him and have Him come into you and make sure that you live in that day. I don't want you to leave yourself in a compromising position, and that leads me into this next segment. This year in particular, Christian conservatives might feel like they have to give to get when it comes to voting for a candidate who isn't Hillary. Believe me, I understand not wanting her for a president. I certainly don't. She would be horrible. Uh Horrible. But I'd like you to consider something much more important than whether the president is Donald, Bernie, Ted, or Hillary. The issue that's infinitely more important is life. Every candidate running for president, currently running for president, has taken a compromising position on the issue of life. And I hope you won't leave yourself in a compromising compromising position by voting for any of them. Now, I've heard it said more times than I can remember that if you don't vote for one of the two parties' candidates, you're throwing your vote away. And you have the constitutional obligation to vote, even though the two choices are two of the worst choices that you could possibly imagine you're supposed to vote. Let me tell you this, nothing could be further from the truth, and that's truth with a capital T, and I capitalize it for a reason. Let me say this, if your presidential candidate compromises on the issue of life, our first and foremost God-given right, then what do you suppose they won't compromise on? Budgets, spending, foreign policy, entitlement programs, all of the above? If there was one candidate, one of the candidates running who compromised on all of those issues, but wouldn't budge on the right to life of every human being from conception to natural death. You could still vote for that candidate with a clear conscience. After all, I don't expect any office holder to live up to a perfect standard. None of us can do that. But if a candidate states, and they all do, they'll compromise on how many unborn babies to kill, Well, that one issue disqualifies them, period. If you're a Christian and you truly believe the Bible is God's Word, you cannot vote, you must not vote for any presidential candidate now running. It's better to obey God and let the chips fall where they may. And Jesus said it like this. You can look this up in red letters in Matthew. He said, "...inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren," You did it to me. I want you to listen to that phrase carefully. Jesus used words purposefully and meticulously. He said, one of the least. He didn't say some or part or all. He said, one of the least of these, my brethren. And you can't get any more least than unborn babies. When you take the compromising position that it's okay to abort even one unborn baby, you disqualify yourself from having any wisdom. And what America needs in a leader is wisdom, not merely winning. It's not about winning if you're leaving the wisdom out. I know there are Christians who struggle with this issue of life because of their own past. But I ask you to remember that Jesus died for all your sins, and he wants you to use wisdom to help others see further down the road than you did. Just because you made poor decisions in your life doesn't mean you can't use and share God's wisdom with others who might be struggling with the same decisions you once faced. One way you can help them is to show them you will no longer compromise on the basic human and God-given right to life. And remember this, God wants you to stand up for His truth. He's much more concerned about the souls of men and women than who is elected president. Elections, presidents, and even countries and nations will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And he says it's never right for any reason to shed innocent blood. So as you consider voting this year, consider whether or not your vote will leave you in a compromising position with God's word. That's not a position you want to be in. I would uh, rather you vote for Mickey Mouse than anybody who's currently running Because Mickey's not going to compromise on the issue of life. Uh, Disney might. uh, The Disney Corporation, but not Mickey. I would like to share uh, one last segment here. It's a little bit of my testimony. And uh, I'd like you to know that my testimony is not a story of perfection. Unless you can see past me in the story. Now, whether I can say I've done something worthy of boasting or whether I... I can say I've done nothing worthy of anyone's boasting. Both of those are part of my testimony. I mentioned this uh, a couple years ago in a, in an article I wrote on my website. That'd be Um And I'd like to share it with you today uh, because it's something that someone said to me this, uh, well, in the past few days. In my life, I've attempted to carry myself with humility and godly sincerity, as Paul put it, and for much of my life, I've worked in a field where there is consistent danger of becoming filled with self. I mean, when you're, when you're on a stage where hundreds and even thousands of people are clapping and cheering for you, the temptation is to believe you're all that in a bag of chips. But the truth is, you're just somebody on a stage using gifts that came from God. By the grace of God, I've enjoyed a life filled with music, singing, and songwriting. I've been all over the country because of my ability to carry a tune. And I say by the grace of God because I've been a miserable failure in so many other ways, so many times. God never saw fit to take my gifts away, though. For some reason, he still trusts me with them, and even though I've let him down time and time again, he, he hasn't taken them away. My testimony of conscience today is this, that even though I've tried to conduct myself with simplicity and godly sincerity in this world, I I freely admit my shortcomings, and I count myself in the Apostle Paul's corner as a chief among sinners. I've been good at it, sinning that is. So does this mean there, there should be no boasting and I should throw in the towel? Well, If you take it that way, I wonder if you could doubt Paul's sincerity in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 12 through 14 when he says, for our boasting is this, and I wonder if you trust one of the follow-up statements, that we are um, your boast as as you also are ours. So read that passage and get a, a feeling and a sense of what Paul is talking about in the boasting. It's not boasting with puffed-up sense of self. And I want you to understand what Paul's talking about. Those three verses begin and end with the words about boasting. But the key is in the middle. The key is in the grace of God. And shouldn't that key always be in the middle of your life? Okay, I've got some lyrics I'd like to share with you that sort of describe my testimony. It was a song that I wrote... A um, praise and worship song. It's called "You Are." And by the way, I told my uh, readers that if they wanted to hear this song, they could hear it on the podcast. Well, here you are on the podcast, as I said in past weeks. So I'll say the words and then I'll play the song. This is called "You Are." I'm not amazing. I'm no king. No, I'm not the god of anything. Oh, but you are, Jesus, you are. I'm not a Savior. I'm not pure. No, I'm not the one who has the the cure. But you are, Jesus, you are. You are the start and finish. You are the morning star. Your life will not diminish. You're the life everlasting. You're the rock of offense. You're the only source of truth who makes it all make sense. If they ask who's going to mend this broken world, I'll commence to saying, You are, Jesus, you are. I'm not perfection. I'm not near. No, I'm not the one anyone should fear. Oh, but you are, Jesus, you are. I'm not the true vine nor the word. Oh, I'm not the amen that we've heard. Ah, but you are, Jesus, you are.
1: king no i'm not the god of anything
0: Yes, he is. And that does it for this episode of The Truth in Words and Music, podcast episode 141. As always, I want you to know and need you to know your support means the world to me. Please share um, my words and music with others. If they would uh, like books, they can discover books that I've written mostly for kids on Amazon.com or Smashwords.com. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and tell others to. Ask others to. That would be a wonderful thing. iTunes gives you a little bit more ranking each time that you get more people listening. You can also circle me on Google+, follow me on Twitter. You can watch my videos on YouTube and find me on Facebook. All you got to do on any of those places is look for Tony Funderburk, F-U-N-D-E-R-B-U-R-K. And... The reason I ask for these kinds of things is because it helps me to do this and keep it going. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.